Welcome to the ESG Matters podcast. My name is Amat Gomis, and I'm your host. Today's guest is Hugh Shannon, Director of Growth and Operations at Oak North. Oak North is working with banks across the U.S. to lead businesses towards embracing the future of climate change. Welcome to the podcast, Hugh. Thanks, Amat. Great to be here. Great. I was wondering if you could give a little bit about your background and Oak North. Yeah, sure. would love to. So I've been working at Oak North for three years. Prior to that, I worked in investment banking, covering financial institutions with a particular focus on banks. As you may be able to tell from my accent, I started my career in Australia, moved to the US 12 years ago, start, yeah, and as I said, I was working in investment banking, both in Australia and in the US. But I was introduced to Oak North uh, through a previous colleague. And as I learned more about the company, I thought it was a really exciting opportunity to join a fintech that was really looking to transform the way that banks address commercial lending and credit. And really, that's fundamental for you know, what we do at Oak. The way we describe you know, how we work with banks is credit intelligence, uh, which is really helping them think about their commercial lending portfolio in a different fashion, right? And that's really relevant as well when we think about climate change and, and climate risk. Right. So I think, you know, that, that combination of transformation, forward looking intelligence is really relevant um, as we work with banks and thinking about uh, climate risk. Well, thank you for that. And I, I can't agree with you more because oftentimes we see that chasm where there's a desire for sustainable products and services. And also from a resiliency standpoint, how are you as a lending institution thinking about these these concepts and ideas, which are very, very new. And how do you get that intelligence to understand how to weigh one investment decision against another, resiliency of an opportunity versus another one, as well as just how does that market kind of look in standardization that needs to occur? So I think there's a lot of value in what you described that Oak North is sort of like their thesis there. And and thinking about banks in Oak North, can you describe how banks are beginning to assess climate risk in their loan portfolios? Yeah, sure. So Probably break it down into maybe maybe three parts to that question, right? Firstly, why? Secondly, what are they doing? And then maybe just give some examples of you know what banks, you know, some specific banks, right? So why are banks assessing climate risk? There's a number of factors that are driving their thinking on this. Investor pressure, you know, their board, their customers want banks to be doing the right thing. There's regulatory pressure that we're really seeing now in the US as well, sort of following example from overseas. You know, but ultimately it's because, you know, for banks, it's, it's the right thing for them to do. Banks are all about managing risk, right? That's how banks make money. Um, that's how they're profitable. But that's also the role that they, you know, serve in the marketplace as sort of that risk transformation. You know, they're taking deposits. They want those deposits to be really sound, but also they need to re- they need to lend to individuals and companies to sort of help them, you know, a company's perspective, you know, develop and grow their business and ultimately grow the economy. Banks are very well versed in assessing and managing risk and climate risk is just another part of that. So the second part of my, my answer here would be, what are they actually doing, right, in terms of assessing that climate risk? And really it depends for different parts of banks' loan portfolios. And I'll, I'll talk a bit about you know, their lending in particular. So if you think about from an individual's perspective, your relationship with a bank might be your deposit account or maybe you've got a credit card, but you know, often the largest financial relationship is through a mortgage, right? So as banks think about climate risk for mortgage lending, 
the key risks they see there is physical risk, right? Like floods or wildfires, et cetera. So as banks think about that piece, you know, they've got to get access to the data, understand how that changing climate can impact the risk of those weather events, whether it's through an increased frequency of events, sort of the acute risk, or longer-term chronic changes, for example, rising sea levels. So that's pretty well established, and it's really a question of combining data that banks have on their mortgage lending portfolio, the key piece really being the address location, with data from external providers as they think about that, those risk elements, right? For Oak North, we work with banks focusing on the commercial lending portfolio, starting with banks that lend to businesses who are then repaying that loan out of cash flows from their operations. So for commercial lending, we work with banks and we look at both physical risk and transition risk, right? So the physical risk for banks, as they think about their commercial lending portfolio, is how will climate events impact the ability of a business to operate and then ultimately continue to produce that cash flow that will repay the loan, right? So is that from, again, like a flood or a wildfire that has a direct impact on the ability on the ability of that business to continue to you know, be open for business? Or is it you know, an impact to important infrastructure? For example, rolling blackouts in Texas or even you know, where I sit in New York, we just got a notification today saying Con Ed wants us to reduce our power consumption up to 4.30 p.m. today, given that it's such a hot day. For transition risk, this is a piece where we're spending a lot of attention as well, is you know, how will, as globally, we move on decarbonisation paths, for example, to a net zero 2050 goal, how will that manifest and impact businesses as they operate in different sectors and different industries? And that should be material differences depending upon industry, because obviously different industries have different sort of baseline or starting levels of greenhouse gas emissions. But if we you know, take it as a given that moving to net zero 2050, for example, will require meaningful reductions in those emissions, if you're operating a heavy emitting industry, you know, transportation, cement manufacturing, that will have a lot different pathway than if you're operating a services business, for example, where you probably have no direct emissions, but you know, you're potentially purchasing electricity or whatever, or you're just, or you're just dealing with broader impacts of the Move on to the third thing I mentioned here is, look, what are some banks specifically doing? So just to give a couple of leading examples. So, you know, in the large regional bank space, one bank that we work with, Fifth Third Bank, are taking, you know, a really leading position on this with dedicated roles in climate risk. They've appointed a chief sustainability officer and they're really leading with their ESG reporting. So they've got, you know, a TCFD report out, they've got an ESG report out, et cetera. Other banks taking a bit more of a wait and see approach, and that's really driven a bit by the regulatory landscape for banks in the US at the moment. But even for those that are adopting that wait and see, they are taking initial steps today, right? So I was just talking with the CFO of a regional bank today. He said, look, you know, they're getting ready for regulations, but they also see this as a bit as a catalyst to get their commercial banking data in better order, which will, you know, at the point in time when they need to do climate disclosures, allow them to drive that but also allow them just to run other risk analysis in the meantime. What we do at Oak North, you know, as we sort of helping to lead the banking industry is we convene, you know, what we call a climate consortium. We bring together executives from banks across North America 
to a forum to share their experiences, concerns and best practices around climate risk. We held our most recent session of that last week. Um, we had 30 banks attending. What we found is really, as expected, larger banks are leading the way here, whereas smaller banks are at an earlier stage. But, you know, even amongst those smaller banks, there are certain banks that have really called out, you know, ESG and climate at the core of what they want to do. So, you know, banks like Forbright or Amalgamated. So even, you know, those smaller banks are able to sort of take, take a bit of a lead there in you know, climate risk and how that address them. And when you think about the institutions that you mentioned, you talked about the move that fairly large banks are able to do more and they're sort of leading the way on this. But I was wondering when you think about the move, especially for those small to moderate sized banks, those local banks that do this commercial lending, how do you think that sort of potential regulations will impact those institutions in particular, as well as the borrowers? Because a lot of Main Street businesses let, um, borrow and bank with local commercial banks, right? So they will be impacted just as much and oftentimes they're just as vulnerable as the communities in which they service because of things that they may not have the scope to be able to address climate change or become energy resilient or to go off grid and things of that nature. So I'm just wondering, how do you see these impacting both those small to moderate size institutions as well as the borrowers that they service? Yeah, it's a really interesting point you raise and it's one that we talk about a lot, um, you know, with the banks, you know, that we're having a continuing conversation with, right? So I think from a regulatory perspective, what we will see, which is similar to other regulatory regimes that have come in, is the regulators will focus on the largest banks first, both in terms of the required disclosures, but also the complexity and depth of analysis. And then as you move down, you know, bank size, it'll both push out in terms of timing, but also the, the depth and complexity of the disclosure will be reduced for smaller banks. Now that said, you know, and you know, you, you made the point, which is look, even so, smaller banks potentially don't have as many resources to, you know, help support, you know, this sort of climate analysis. So I think, you know, that's certainly something that, you know, we want to help them address, right, through using our technology. And I think where it resonates really well with those smaller banks when they go and you know, think about the impact on their borrowers is viewing climate not just as a risk, but also as an opportunity. So maybe a couple of examples there sort of help to bring that home. So the automotive sector is clearly one, or automotive and transportation sector is clearly one that is going to be heavily impacted with the need to decarbonize, right? Um, given it's a large consumer of oil products, gasoline, right? And I think the interesting thing there is, look, there is a beginning of a regulatory push to move from internal combustion engines to EVs, for example. But we're also just as quickly seeing a shift in consumer sentiment, right? So if you look at new can, can you talk a little bit about that shift in consumer sentiment? Yeah, so, yeah, so, so if, you, if you look at consumer car sales, right, now more than 5% of new car sales in the US are fully electric. I think when you include hybrid, it's around 9 or 10% uh, of all car sales in the US are fully electric. And so I was looking at an interesting study just last week and it's saying, look, when you look at overseas markets that are further down that sort of S-curve of adoption for EVs, that 5% is really a tipping point where you see 
an acceleration in the rate of adoption, right? Because you talk to some people about it and they're like, look, that's great. I get why electric vehicles are a good idea. Like it's, it's cheaper to run them with the electricity. There's less maintenance required for them. They've got really great actual performance for the cars, like really good acceleration. But, you know, how do you put in place a charging network for them, right? We're just so far away from that. But again, you, you obviously need to get a certain level of adoption before that network, charging network starts to make sense. And then if you compare it to what we've got today with, with gas stations across the US, right? Like those gas stations have, you know, and that network has been put in place over a, over a century, right? More than a century. And if you were to start with a blank sheet of paper today and say, look, what makes more sense to establish you know, gas stations that require tanker trucks to drive up and offload the gas, which is a highly flammable, highly toxic material, or build a charging network which plugs into the existing electrical network nationwide, right? If you're starting with a blank sheet of paper, you'd always say, look, let's build a charging network, right? It can be really decentralized. You can have them on every street, et cetera, et cetera. So the regulation is going to drive it, but I think that consumer sentiment is really going to tip it as well. And So when we talk to to people and to banks about it, often positioning for smaller banks that are not going to have that regulatory requirement, positioning climate to them as like climate change is actually going to drive technological innovation. For you as a bank and as you're talking to your customers, you want to be lending into industries that are at the forefront of technological innovation are going to continue to grow. It's not, you know, you can, you can just divorce the politics of it altogether, right? Which you know is like a prickly topic in the US, but if you really focus on that technology and the innovation piece, I think, you know, you can get people on board really quickly with, with the concept. Yeah. And that goes back to the idea that you said before about banks looking at this more so from the lens of an opportunity, as opposed to one in which this is going to be a top-down approach where you have to mitigate risk. So I, I think that goes back to a lot of what you said and thinking about what you also mentioned before when you talked about regulations and thinking about what's happening in other markets around the world when it comes to lending. Can lending institutions like banks look overseas for successful models to follow or to incorporate in their own way to address this need? And how does sort of Oak North help with that process? Sure. No, and, and look, I, I think absolutely yes. And what we have found ourselves at Oak North, but even talking to banks in the US that are trying to understand what's coming with climate risk, how do we think about disclosures, how do we think about opportunities, if you look to the Europe, if you look to UK, and even closer to home in Canada, those markets and regulatory markets are further advanced in terms of addressing climate risk. And what we've seen in the banking space, and if you look, you know, for example, at the Basel Accord, there is a fair degree of global alignment between the banking regulators. So NGFS, which sets out climate scenarios that allow banks to run you know, scenario analysis on their portfolio, there's 116 members of those. And if you look through that, it's all of the most significant banking regulators covering the most significant markets in the world, right? So there is a strong degree of alignment. There may be some local flavor, but really looking to those markets can help. You know, at Oak North ourselves, we have a software business, which is where I sit and in terms of you know, our climate solution that we sell into the market. But we actually have our own bank in the United Kingdom. Um, and that bank itself last year became one of the first banks globally, not only to run climate scenario analysis across its portfolio, but also to disclose those impacts in its annual report. And so 
you know, what we found in the bank, and look, you know, we, we don't have an automotive book in the bank or we don't lend into the oil and gas sector, but, you know, within our smaller portfolio, we do still really understand how those physical and transition risks can impact borrowers. And, you know, to the point we were just discussing, like that opportunity, like that's something which really resonates with our bankers within our bank. And then also when we talk to customers, and so what we've actually done is stood up a dedicated origination team, which does a couple of things. Like one is supports existing borrowers in their transition to a green economy. And then secondly, identify opportunities to lend to new borrowers who need help to you know, finance that growth or transition. That's great to understand. And I think it's, I think that scenario planning is, like you said, probably going to become much more of a standard practice for banks, both large and small, because as we see in the US, there's so many things that are happening when it comes to just on the environmental side, not even thinking about sort of the social and governance aspects of ESG that many people anecdotally are grappling with, right? Like you talked about the rolling blackouts that are happening in different parts of the country and the weather-related phenomenon that we're having to deal with. So I think if banks start to look overseas and see Oak North's own banking institution, right, creating those, running those climate analysis, uh, scenario analysis is something that I think we all should sort of advocate that they start to do because oftentimes those lending institutions really, they have a lot of movement on how we can both understand what's happening in our own sort of local markets, as well as what's happening on a national level. And that's something I think we all need to understand, both as consumers and also as investors. And then for green entrepreneurs, which is something we haven't really addressed yet, what are some steps that they need to take to demonstrate the viability of a product or service to lenders in this changing landscape? That's a great question. And, you know, we are seeing that some banks are already starting to put together questionnaires or think about this, right? So what we're seeing, like, I'd say the key thing at this point is just that entrepreneurs or businesses are starting to think about a plan, right? No one's saying, look, you need to have all the answers today. But if you can start from a point of saying, look, we understand that climate change is a risk. We understand that it can have potential impacts, both from a physical perspective, plus also from a decarbonisation perspective. If I am operating a manufacturing business, like I need to start to think about putting together a plan. So whether that's like establishing a baseline for my own business, understanding of what technology is available to potentially reduce emissions, starting to think about my own supply chain, what's my sort of upstream and downstream emissions as well. Like that's the sort of questions or planning that banks are want their borrowers to start to think through. But again, to be clear, no one's saying, look, you need to have all the answers today or you even need to know when you'll get the answers. It's just the fact that you're starting to ask the questions is really the key thing. So that's one piece. I think the other piece is what's going to drive this scenario analysis for the banks is data on their borrowers, right? Some of that data they're already capturing today. So, you know, in the commercial lending space, it's pretty normal that you will be providing your bank at least on an annual basis with, the financial statements from your company or from your business. But with climate risk, as I was mentioning earlier, there is a lot of risk associated with physical locations, right? Now, the reality is banks, you know, they're probably going to be capturing today, you know, the address of your headquarters or your registered office, but they're not capturing data potentially on all of the sites of your operations or where all your assets are located. 
right? So if companies themselves are able to start to aggregate that data and provide to banks, if, you know, regardless of whether the banks can actually use it today, again, that shows that you're much further on that path of you know, helping banks to think through that great lending decision. Thank you for that and for that response. And thank you for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast, Hugh. If someone wants to get in contact with you and talk more about Oak North and the services that you all offer, what's the best way they can reach out to you? Yeah, so a couple of options. Uh, firstly, uh, listeners should feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is just hugh.shannon at oaknorth.com. Or alternatively, have a look on our website. We've got some great resources there, uh, oaknorth.com forward slash climate. Uh, it's a great place to go. Well, thank you once again for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Great. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters podcast on your choice of podcast platforms. This podcast is brought to you by Amat Gumis and theme music by Dexter Thomas. Thank you.